0: If I like bears and I want to see them around, and if I give it an apple, if I do it often enough, that bear will associate the presence of a human being with maybe getting another apple. It may go out to somebody else, hoping it'll get something to eat, and that, uh, that somebody else may shoot it and kill it.
1: This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio. I think the time has come. The plague has finally chosen me to take the long, narrow path to the river Styx. Or I have a relatively minor cold that's given me a sore throat. My wife and I can't quite agree on it. Either way, I'm going to be brief introducing this episode in case my voice does give out again today. From BC to the East Coast, black bears are waking up and wandering about as winter finally gives way to spring. The best person to talk to about bears is a man who spends time rehabilitating them, teaching others to coexist with them, and kind of looking like one when his hair gets extra scruffy. Mike McIntosh of Bear With Us. Defender Radio connected with Mike and talked about spring bear adventures, attractants and feeding of bears, and why rehabilitation of bears anywhere in Canada can be successful. A shortened version of this interview is available as a news brief at thefurbears.com, the iTunes store, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I guess right now, an absolutely perfect thing to do, as even if there is snow up where you live, uh, the, the snow down here, as I said before we got started, is, is melted, even though it's, it's making a few appearances here and there. But I am outside. I think you're probably outside. We're cleaning up, getting ready for spring. Perfect time of year to start getting ready for uh, uh, cleaning up to prevent wildlife conflicts, to check out attractants. What would you say sort of the first steps are in finding out what might be around your house and preventing bears who come out uh, looking for an easy snack are? Well, you know, uh, this time of year, whether there's
0: snow around or not, all winter people have been trying to help the birds out by feeding them. Mm-hmm. Once the snow goes away, the birds really don't need that extra help. They can forage for themselves. It's even better for them, actually. However, when the snow goes away, the bird feeders should be put away for sure. Because uh, bears love high-calorie foods, and sunflower seed and niger seed are high-calorie foods. So even if there's a bit of food in the, or snow on the ground, a bear can be attracted to a bird feeder if the wind's blowing in the right direction from a few kilometers away. So a bird feeder should go away when the snow goes and not come out again until the snow returns.
1: That's an easy step. I'm already barbecuing, though, and this is one that surprised me when I first heard it is the little grease trap, the little tinfoil thing underneath my barbecue is enough to draw in bears from, from a distance. Maybe not in downtown Hamilton, but uh, uh, in areas where bears are hanging out, it's enough to draw them in. It is. And that doesn't mean
0: that that grease trap or the grease in your barbecue is edible. It's just the smell of it. Mm-hmm. They'll come in and they'll, they'll inspect it. They'll check it out, i.e. knock the barbecue over. <laughs> Because they might be looking for that hamburger or whatever was barbecued there that's no longer there. The grease just smells like it. Mm -hmm. How do they feel about early season asparagus? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think they feel anything about asparagus.
1: I haven't, I've never observed them eating it. All right. Um, Well, as a matter of fact, if it's it's cooked in butter, that might change. Okay. Uh, I think we just use a little bit of olive oil, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'll let you know if any bears show up um, in downtown Hamilton. If they show up in downtown Hamilton, I think there'll be panic. <laughs> well, when we have all of raccoon out during the day, there tends to be panic. So, yes, I, I think the bear would probably uh, not be well received. But that is something that is common, I think, in a lot of communities across Ontario. And it, people forget how big Ontario really is. I think when, when we talk about bears, it's it's sort of – it's funny because we have this mixed geography – and a lot of these lessons are going to be applicable in various areas. And I remember the first time I saw a black bear after growing up as a city kid. And I thought, wow, it's so big. And I, do I need to remember to do I stop, drop and roll or do I pretend to be a dead fish or what do I do? And the bear looked at me and just took off running in the opposite direction Um and ever That almost since, always happens. Well, yeah, and that's been my experience with bears pretty much ever since then. It's, oh, I've got a great picture of this bear, and it goes, oh, no, I'm out, and runs away. But we do see videos online. There's the I'm sure you've seen the funny video of the most Canadian way to get rid of a bear, where the guy's on the yes. back porch and says, go away, bear, I need to go to work. You bite um, the ass, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, what should people do? Uh, and I guess this is a very broad question, but... If we see bears around, so we'll use the example of uh, perhaps somewhere more like North Bay, uh, where you've got kind of got an interesting mix now of suburban, urban, and rural. If a bear is in the backyard, is it something we should be worried about? Is there you know, a, a respectable distance we should keep? Um, or is it as simple as saying, hey, bear, go away? Well, I
0: think, uh, first off, if there's a bear in the backyard, don't really need to worry about the bear harming anybody because they're not that dangerous unless you unless somebody does something really silly, like tries to grab a hold of her or something like that, mm-hmm. or lets their dog go after it. Because dogs do antagonize a bear, and quite often, the bear will chase a dog right back to the person who is the dog's best friend. Yeah. But back to the springtime. Uh, when bears first come out of the den, they are not ravenously hungry like often is shared or read or talked about on the radio. That's that's totally not true. It takes them a while to build up that hunger and need for feed just because they're wandering around with nothing to eat and using up energy. So that doesn't mean they won't take advantage of a nice food source like sunflower seeds and a bird feeder. So if a bear is in somebody's backyard, like you said, Mike, it's not there because it's looking for a good time or looking to visit the people. It's there for a reason. And that means that it's an attractant. So the first thing to do is figure out what's attracting the bear. Once the bear leaves, go out and walk around and clean up that bird feeder and uh, take it away, clean up the uh, seed on the ground, and don't put it back out again because people will tell me, well, I put my bird feeder away at night but take it out during the day. Well, they still smell the seed that's spilt on the ground. So if the bird feeder is only put away part-time, it'll still attract bears. And not just bears, like coyotes and raccoons and foxes, other animals are also attracted to the same attraction that a bear may be. So if it's in the backyard, it's there for a reason, and it's because there's something there for it to eat. The
1: best way to discourage it is to take away what it's coming to eat. That is the same thing my wife does um, if I'm bugging her, uh, is she just puts food out in a certain area and I go over there. Um, <laughs> That's right. And talking about feeding bears, this is something that comes up and there is, and I won't go into the the ins and outs of all this, but there are some people who say, oh, we can feed bears and coexist with them and that's okay. And there are times when I have heard about government intervention programs, which is uh, a strategic feeding of bears due to, say, a certain crop shortage or increased conflict in one area. When we're talking about feeding for the average person, and again, I'm not talking extenuating circumstances, I'm not talking research, I'm talking those of us living either in a rural area, an urban area, wherever there may be bears, is feeding always a no-no, or are there times when it's it's okay to give a bear an apple? The general public shouldn't feed them. And that the reason I say that is
0: because if I like bears and I want to see them around, and if I give it an apple, if I do it often enough, that bear will associate the presence of a human being with maybe getting another apple. The problem is, it may go out to somebody else, hoping it'll get something to eat, and that uh, that somebody else may shoot it and kill it. Mm-hmm. So, should not be fed under any circumstances. They're quite capable of finding their own food sources. They're an omnivore. They eat many different types of food, and because of that the grass and leaves and anything else in between. So they do not need to be fed by people. And unfortunately, when they are, they eventually end up dead. And my purpose with bear education at Bear Us is to
1: make sure that doesn't happen. One of the other elements that, that comes into play with feeding, and this is something that is often hard to show, but when it happens, it, it often is tragic, And I can think of two examples, one involving deer, one involving a coyote, is it changes their behavior so they will take risks they may not normally. And in particular, in some areas, that means crossing roads that they went. There was one uh, incident a few years back in Stanley Park in Vancouver, and people have been feeding the coyote and feeding the coyote and started uh, feeding the coyote in another location. So the coyote would cross a busy street every day to go get food. And sure enough, eventually the coyote was hit by a car. Uh, There's another incident of, uh, and I don't know if there was a necessarily tragic outcome. We only heard a bit about this as part of research. And I think you were actually at this conference. Um, Someone had studied uh, deer movement in urban Manitoba. And she showed that the deer were making these really weird behavioral patterns. Like they were crossing areas that didn't make sense to cross. Uh, They were getting in front of cars and getting closer to people than they ever would. And it turned out all it was was one person feeding the deer. And it completely changed their movement. Uh, So I imagine there is also similar concern of that with bears, particularly when we consider, as you said, that bears are hunted throughout much of Ontario. For most of the year when the snow's not on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yes. So,
0: um, yeah, for sure. uh, A food attractant will will direct or redirect many species of animals towards that attractant. And people don't get too excited when they see a deer. They get the camera. Or if they see a fox, quite often they'll get the camera. If they see a bear, they look to get the gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, that doesn't mean the bear is dangerous. Just that means what that's what people's perception is.
1: Yeah, when it comes to carnivore hunting uh, or predator hunting, even though they are omnivores, are they classified as carnivores? No. No, they're not? No, they have a, they have a dental pattern that uh, reflects a carnivore, mm-hmm.
0: but they're an omnivore uh, and they're primarily vegetarians. Yeah. Over ninety percent of their diet is vegetarian. So, if you want to call them predators, they're predators of grass and
1: berries. Oh well, there you go. See, I learned and, uh, something new today too, uh, because I would have classified them in my brain uh, as carnivores or predators. Uh, and that's why we have these conversations, so we can all learn. Well,
0: you know, uh, to call a bear a predator, a black bear, mm-hmm. that's that's a sensational term because in the movies and in TV documentaries, it makes them sound potentially vicious. And they have the claws and the teeth. The teeth, for sure, would make them look like a carnivore. But uh, they rarely eat anything that's meat, unless you want to count insects. I'm
1: okay with them eating insects, I'll be honest. Um And small rodents like mice, but primarily it's vegetable matter. So that must come from me. And and as you know, and as our listeners know, I experience mostly or my experience is primarily with the canid family and with small uh, urban animals. So that very likely comes from me reading. And as part of my job, I have to read Internet comments and articles. So reading media accounts, which are not entirely accurate and getting terms like that in my head. And then repeating them inappropriately, so it, it's important well, you know, to I, acknowledge it. You mentioned media mm-hmm. uh, more often than not is
0: not accurate, and that's because the people who are sourcing the information, the the reporter, whoever they are, they they do the same as a lot of us. They Google something, yeah, and uh, there's that just because it comes up in the internet does not, does not mean there's any fact there, and misinformation gets spread so quickly. And when it comes to bears and and other animals that people are afraid of, um, the misinformation is far more exciting and sensational to repeat than the truth. And the truth when it comes to bears is they're really dangerous to people, and they're definitely not out to eat people, but they're definitely not out to really kill and eat anything in most cases. Mm -hmm. You know, in northern Ontario, sometimes they'll kill a deer fawn or a moose calf, but that's more of a rarity than a commonality. And uh, most bears... Eat what the mother bear shows them what to eat by example. And most often that is, like I said before, is vegetable matter. Berries, nuts, grasses, leaves, and sometimes insects.
1: Talking about education, one of the things that's come up, and we won't go into the politics of the situation because it's neither here nor there, uh, is the rehabilitation of black bears as a whole and particularly orphan black bears now in ontario you do that and i believe there's one or two other facilities that handle rehab of bears uh and in british columbia i think there are three organizations that handle rehab of black bears that's correct yes is well what is the process i mean why why can we rehabilitate black bears what works in the favor of this process for those who are orphaned or injured okay so one thing
0: that works in the favor is the animal itself And largely, it's because it's an omnivore. There's many food sources that will keep a bear happily content and nutritionally uh, satisfied. So they're intelligent animals, very intelligent. They're intelligent rivals out of the great apes. Hmm. And they have very good memories, which means that if they find a food source in a certain location, say a berry patch, um, they won't forget that. They'll visit that when they need to. For years, And sometimes they won't go to that berry patch for five or six years until there's a food shortage where their home range is, and then they'll travel maybe a few hundred or more kilometers to go to the berry patch they remembered, even when maybe with their cubs. So because they're, they eat such a wide variety of foods, and because they're intelligent and remember and they're inquisitive, they taste everything, um, they will survive well in the wild because there's food almost everywhere they walk. And the reason is because it's vegetable matter almost everywhere they walk. Mm-hmm. The primary concern about rehabilitating bears is to not get them used to people in general, like conditioned to human activity. So a lot of people, a lot of voices, commotion, strange people that be, you know come around, that can cause these bears to become kind of complacent. And that doesn't risk people in the future. It risks the bear's life. So that's why at Us we don't have visitors of any kind and only one maybe other volunteer other than myself. So the bears see very few different people. They don't get conditioned to human activity, vehicles, music, that kind of thing. They don't hear any of that. And uh there's a you know there's three rehab centers in BC as you mentioned. Uh there's a there's one that just opened up in Manitoba, which formerly hasn't been rehabilitating bears. And it's going to happen in Alberta soon, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. And there's a rehab center in Quebec and one in New Brunswick. And that's about it.
1: It sounds like a lot, but when we consider the geography of this country and the need when it comes to orphaned and injured animals, and, and we should say that most of the time, this the reason they are orphaned or injured is connected to human activity. Um when you sort of put that into the context, it really isn't a lot. No, it's not. And we also have to remember that the context, like,
0: the, you know, if bear thrust gets 50 cubs in one year, we might have, like, a very small percentage is what we've helped. Mm-hmm. So we can actually do a better job of helping bears by helping people understand them, by educating them. Because that'll save more bear cubs in the long run because uh, people won't react um in a wrong way They're really lethal lethal control is really not necessary we we're, we're we call ourselves a smarter species well you know we we need to act that way as well and figure out better ways than lethal
1: is it like with coyotes in that if we were to say there is a conflict situation arising and there is a bear visiting an area that is densely urban um or they are exploring the garbage of a neighborhood um, and potentially scaring people uh, and, I don't know, maybe coming into conflict with a dog, whatever the scenario may be. If we were to, for instance, remove that bear, another bear could come in and repeat the behavior because the environment hasn't changed? I mean, that, that's how we approach it with coyotes. Is it transferable? Absolutely. Like There's no point in... Uh removing the bear, i.e. live
0: trapping and taking it somewhere else if the food attraction is still there because for sure there'll be another bear show up eventually. And bears are smart animals. They, if they, If they smell a bear trail where there's a bear going the same direction regularly over and over again, they know that it has to be a food source because bears don't waste their time wandering aimlessly around. They're always looking for food. So if there's a bear trail leading to somebody's backyard and that bear trail's regularly used and fairly fresh, that'll bring other bears in just because of the one bear doing that every day. Hmm. So by removing the food source, not only will the bear that shows up go away because it won't stay around with there's no food, other bears won't show up.
1: What can people do if they want to see bear rehabilitation be successful, whether it's in British Columbia and Ontario where there are existing opportunities, whether it's in Alberta where there is a need, and we hope uh, it will be happening very, very soon, uh, or in Manitoba where, as you said, there's a a new place. What are the things they can do to support these initiatives? Well, I think uh, to let the governments of the particular province
0: know that lethal control is unacceptable shooting five pound or six pound bear cubs is unacceptable Um, like you mentioned almost all bears and other animals too that are orphaned or injured rarely is it due to an activity that other other than human activity so whether people shoot them or hit them with vehicles Or whatever goes on, it's almost always human activity that caused the injuries in the orphans. We have a responsibility to try and rectify the damage we do to wildlife and the environment. And one of those ways we can rectify or help compensate for the damage we do is, is encourage rehabilitation centers. Because I think that a rehabilitation center might look after a certain number of animals per year. But the education, the the opportunity to speak to people about these animals and understand them, will help more animals and they can actually rehabilitate and release back to the wild, you know, by on an individual basis. So that's more important. I feel that is the education because that saves
1: hundreds of bears, not
0: twenty or thirty or forty or fifty.
1: And those who would like to support the efforts of of individuals like yourself, uh, I imagine. There are maybe not volunteer opportunities very often, but there are other ways they can contribute to, uh, to the efforts. Well, in the case of bear thrust, they
0: can go to www.bearthrust.org and they're going to see educational videos and they're going to read a lot of information about bears and they're also going to read information about bear and how to support it. So they, they, you know, if they're interested, the op- opportunity is there. In closing, I, li- I would like to leave people with this quote. And the quote is from Dave Smith, who wrote a book called Backcountry Bear Basics. And here's the quote. People can live with real bears. It's the bears roaming the wilds of the human imagination that are impossible to get along with. So that, you know, that goes right back to the misinformation that we so often hear and read about. The real animal is totally different than what exists in most people's
1: minds. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about bears. To learn more about Mike and Bear With Us, visit bearwithus.org. He can also be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you everyone for listening, and remember to share the podcast with friends and family, subscribe, and leave reviews on iTunes. It helps us get found by even more people. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.